Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. This version of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker, We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land, and the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE faith and is particularly designed for white people white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. How's everybody doing? I'm still recovering from a cold I've had for a few weeks now. You may be able to hear it, actually. (coughs) So if my voice starts to sound a little rough around the edges, or maybe it already does, I guess, um, that's why. It's late November now, which is kind of hard to believe. I'm not sure where the year has gone, but I'm grateful for deepening into this darker part of the year where even in Denver, a mile high close to the sun, the quality of the light changes, becomes softer. I have discovered living here that I get tired of unrelenting sunshine, and I've been appreciating the few gray and snowy days we've had in the last few weeks, the darkness falling earlier and inviting time to slow down and rest, snuggle in and light candles. The candlelight is beautiful because the darkness makes it so. I think we forget in our culture and even in Christianity where there is so much focus on light all the time and a general rejection of darkness, that darkness itself is its own gift. Darkness is necessary. Darkness allows ease and shade and rest and without it, our seeds would never grow. Nestled in earth or womb, seeds need darkness, and so do we. In the way the calendar falls out this year, 
We have one of those years where there is a Sunday in between the national Thanksgiving holiday and the first Sunday of Advent. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it rushes one right into the next. In the Christian calendar, the first Sunday of Advent is the first day of the new Christian year. We start a whole new cycle in the lectionary on that Sunday. The last Sunday of the Christian year is called Christ the King Sunday, or for traditions trying to get away from hierarchical king language, Reign of Christ Sunday. Either way, the result is the same. The culmination of the church year celebrates the lordship, the reigning over of Jesus Christ, quote, ruler of the kings of the earth, as it says in Revelation. That's the Sunday we're working with today. The scripture texts pretty much all talk about kingship and lordship and dominion and thrones and robes and, oh right, blessings for the king's people and punishment for the godless. We can call it Christ the King or Reign of Christ, but we can't get away from what the texts themselves seem to be saying, what they seem to be celebrating. Kingship, lordship, dominion over, power over. We might call to mind all the iconography of the Christ in royal robes on a throne, scepter in hand, crown on his head, radiating golden haloed light crown him with many crowns, and all of that. The Christian theological imagination sees the culmination of the Christian story to be this, Christ reigning over everything, a king over his kingdom, a kingdom that must be defended from the godless. Because that's what kings and kingdoms do, right? They defend themselves, their reigns, their borders, their buildings, defend their right to rule, their right to rule over others, their right to extract the wealth of labor and land to keep their reign running. We, I think, and especially if we're of the more progressive bent of Christian, we want to think Christianity is not like this, that we can language change our way out of this version of Christianity that puts not only Christ but Christianity itself at the top of the hierarchical patriarchal pyramid, the supremacy of Christ in Christianity. That's not a bad impulse to want to change that theology, that iconography we're handed that's reinforced by scriptures like we have in this week's set of lectionary readings, all gathered up to defend a certain theological imagination of the world and who gets to be in charge and how, As if to say, the best thing we can imagine for Jesus is to put a crown on his head and call him king, and imagine he is king, ruling over all. And look, here are a bunch of scriptures to show how good and important being king and structuring your society with a king at the top of the hierarchy is. Thanks, lectionary editors. (laughs) You can probably guess how I feel about all that. Hmm. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. This hymn by Isaac Watts is not that much different than what Roman imperial emperors had sung about themselves. It's number 300 in the UCC hymnal, the first in the section about the reign of Christ. The language is tweaked slightly, a bit more modern, no kingdoms here, for example, but still, Jesus reigns from shore to shore. 
Still, the language change can't get away from the theological imagination of lordship, of reigning over, of a realm instead of a kingdom that still dreams of taking up more and more land shore to shore. A realm and a kingdom are still the same thing, especially when we're talking about someone who reigns over it. It's still imagining a royal, even an imperial structure, a patriarchal, colonizing structure. Like whatever the sun touches belongs to Jesus, which is the theology of manifest destiny, of the doctrine of discovery, and also of white supremacy. Even if we play with the language, try to make it about, say, love instead of dominion, the mechanism is still the same. Christ the King, reigning shore to shore. Celebrating Christ the King Sunday pressed right up against the national Thanksgiving holiday? Well, that feels to me like a lot to reckon with. Last year we did a podcast, uh, a Thanksgiving episode for this podcast, in which we talked a lot about the actual origins of Thanksgiving celebrations held by early settler colonizers on this continent. Basically, it's a tradition rooted in the repeated massacres of indigenous people by white settler colonizers. I'm not going to repeat all of that here, but I will add the link and some other resources too, so that if that history is new to you, you have a starting place. Today what I want to do is make that connection between a theology that imagines the culmination of Jesus' purpose as a reign, a lordship, a dominion, a kingdom, a country, from shore to shore, from sea to shining sea. The connection between that theology and the history of colonization on this continent. That history is undergirded by that theology which is to say Christian theology gave moral authority to the, to the genocide of indigenous people and the theft of the land they belonged to. Even when white people called it the loving thing to do from the best of intentions, forcing indigenous people to convert and then moving them into prayer towns in the early colonies, or sending indigenous children to boarding schools where they were punished for speaking their language. That's all what my seminary professor, Osage scholar and theologian Dr. Tink Tinker calls cultural genocide. We can change the words of the hymns, but the result is still the same. As Dr. Tinker says, the conscious intent to destroy a people is not necessary for an act to be genocidal or for it to succeed in destroying. What this means for us as white Christians on this continent is that we have to sit both with the reality of the history and current reality of indigenous genocide that founded and drives the structure of this country, and also sit with the reality that our religious tradition provided and still provides the moral reasoning undergirding that bloody structure. With Thanksgiving and Christ the King or Reign of Christ or whatever short or shore we want to call it Sunday, within a few days of each other, all of that pressed up together in a way, mm, it's a lot to reckon with. How does it feel to simply hold all of that in your awareness right now? How does it feel in your body? No need to judge your feelings, just 
feel them, whatever they may be. Is there nothing in this week's selection of scripture to help us? No clue or alternative reading for us to hold on to, to guide us into something less like a kingdom and more like freedom? Oddly enough, I find myself pondering the reading from John's Gospel. If you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you know how I feel about John. Yep, here we are. In this week's reading, Pilate is interrogating Jesus prior to Jesus' execution. Twice, Pilate asks Jesus if Jesus is a king. And Jesus' answer is interesting. He doesn't say no, or yes, for that matter, but that my kingdom is not from this world. Now, I've always been taught that he means he's still imagining ruling over something, just not Judea or Rome exactly. He's king of something else. He doesn't say of what, but people spin it to mean of love, king of the kingdom of God, or of Christendom. Those of us with good intentions always want to clarify, but not the bad kind of king, but still a king, Christ the king. My kingdom is not from this world. In John's gospel, Jesus never calls himself a king. At one point, The people try to make him king, and he runs away into the mountains. The closest he comes, maybe, is when he rides the donkey into Jerusalem, making a mockery of Pilate's imperial army occupying the city of Passover. Even then, it's the people making the claim, and the interpreters writing down the stories, putting the words in their mouths. Either they didn't actually quite understand what they were seeing, Or they're playing a subversive game along with Jesus, because after all, a king on a donkey is not really a king. Not how the world understands kings anyway. But still, nowhere does Jesus claim being a king, not in the other Gospels either. So I wonder if Jesus is trying to say something different here. My kingdom is not from this world. What if he's saying to Pilate, you're so wrapped up in kings and kingdoms, you can't even imagine something different. And I think about what Jesus does imagine, what he imagines for how he understands who he is, a light, a path, a gate, a good shepherd, a vine, a truth, life generating life, bread. These things, too, are most often turned into exclusive, one-way-only claims, right? Excuses for a dominating Christ the King. But I wonder if that's what he meant. All these elemental, earthy, chewy things that require relationship, closeness, that require care and tending. Not thrones, but vines. 
not crowns, but bread. Not a king, but a working class shepherd. Shepherds, in fact, were some of the earliest icons of Jesus, along with water symbols and fish, not crosses or crowns, not until Constantine got a hold of things. A working class shepherd, probably with her knees covered in muck rather than draped in royal robes, holding a staff to chase off foxes, not a scepter. A defender of the flock, but not its ruler. Who is it that we follow? The king or the working class shepherd? Which imagination do we want to live inside and embody? The imagination of dominion or the imagination of earthy mutual relationship? What I'm trying to say is that if we want to begin to repair the immense damage done by the Christian imperial project on this continent, we start by taking Jesus off the throne. Not just in words, but also in practice. We start by taking Jesus off that throne. We start by centering indigenous sovereignty. For your call to action this week, I encourage you to check out the toolkit Surge has just released that helps dismantle some of the myths around the Thanksgiving holiday and offers concrete ways to take action in solidarity with indigenous communities and in support of indigenous sovereignty. Pay particular attention to solidarity asks from indigenous leaders to protect indigenous lands in the Arctic and the southwest part of the North American continent from fossil fuel extraction. You can find the toolkit on our website as well as some other tools and tips at showingupforracialjustice.org thanksgiving. If you're having a communal meal or a family meal on the national holiday, I encourage you to talk about what you've learned, maybe even share the toolkit with folks, and share what your commitment is for action moving forward. Let's make this mashup of harmful national and Christian holidays a time to reclaim our resistance and commitment to action. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with the resistance word for the start of Advent from Nicola Torbett. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there, too, if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor for this week, Maxwell Pearl. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. 
Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.